Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Well, what's up, everybody? Hey, <laughs> what's up? Hey, welcome. We're so glad you guys are here today. Man, I love that bait when that bass drops. It's so good. It gets me going. Hey, welcome. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Kenny. I'm the youth pastor here. And today, I am so honored. I'm so excited to share what God has put on my heart in regards of the breastplate of righteousness. I love the fact that whenever we come to church, we can come to this place expecting to be built up instead of beat up. And that is my number one goal today, to build you up instead of to beat you up, um, to share a good news with you, to speak encouragement over you. Over you. How many of you know, um, whenever we hear news outside of these walls, most of the time, um, it's bad news. You know, it's discouraging news. It's old news. Same stories, different days. But today, we're going to hear good news. You guys grateful for that? I'm super excited. It's not my news, but it's Jesus's news to you. And my prayer here today is, and I've been praying this all week, is that we'll leave this place. Everybody will leave this place with a new sense of confidence confidence today. I'm choosing to, to believe that God is just going to just pour out his confidence over you with this gift of righteousness. Today, I'm super excited. We're continuing in our Armor of God series, and um, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is one of my favorite New Testament books because it's in this letter Paul's writing to this new group of believers. They're, they're a younger and newer group of believers because they're fresh out of pagan worship. They're fresh out of living in idolatry. They're, they're fresh out of coming from sin. And now they're loving Jesus. Now they're following Jesus. And in this letter, just like Pastor Stephen's been teaching these last couple of weeks, um, Paul has so beautifully written and broken down this letter. It's, it's, it's this beautiful panoramic snapshot of the gospel. And, and in the first half of this letter, Paul's talking a lot about who Jesus is. He's talking a lot about who God is and what he has done for us. And he's teaching a lot of theology. In the second half of this letter, he's going to be teaching very practically. And that's where we find ourselves today in the last concluding statements in the book of Ephesians. And I think this is a very climactic conclusion. And in my opinion, this is a very essential letter. And let me explain why. I think this letter is so essential because it was written approximately 60 A.D., and in about four years from the writings of this letter, Paul's number one disciple, Timothy, will go on and lead and pastor this community of Ephesus. And this community of believers in Ephesus, they'll grow so rapidly that they'll begin to just crazily increase in numbers. They're, they'll grow to be as large as 25,000 in, 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 in number. And this community, man, it's growing, it's thriving, and they have no idea the grand plan that God has for them. They have no idea that they're about to be the central hub to share and spread the news of the gospel and go on to, to tell people in Asia and Asia Minor who Jesus is. So all this to say, it's my intro, so all this to say, I think in these concluding statements in this letter to the Ephesians, you could really start to pick up the magnitude and the passion that God has for this community of believers. And I tend to think that these Ephesians, now they're dead and now they're with Jesus and they don't need this letter anymore, but I can't, but 
I can't help but believe that it is now us who this letter's written for, and I can't help but wonder if God is gonna inspire and, and spark a passion in us the same way God inspired and, parked, and sparked a passion with these Ephesians. And I believe that's gonna happen today. So turn with me, super excited. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14. That's where we're gonna be spending our time today, verses 10 through 14. And it says this, we'll have it up on the screen for you guys to follow along with. It says, finally, these are the, the concluding remarks in this letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, I love the repetition, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Today, I'm super honored, super excited to share what God has put on my heart in regards of the breastplate of righteousness. Will you guys pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for the beautiful weather. God, for every single person in this room. God, we thank you that we can come to hear good news. And God, I pray that you will proclaim that good news all across this place. God, I thank you that you would use somebody like me to deliver your word. God, may these be your words and not mine. Jesus, we love you. We pray for confidence. We pray for righteousness. Jesus, come and reveal yourself to us like never before. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you have any pets? Who are the pet people? Raise your hand if you got some pets. Perfect. This is great. You guys will relate. Hey, so I like to say I'm a pets guy. Growing up, I've experienced most of them. You know, I've had birds, I've had dogs, I've had cats, I've had fish, I've had geckos, I've had gerbils, which funny story about the gerbil. Um, Whenever my brother and I, we used to live together, thankful we don't anymore, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, Whenever we used to live together, uh, he came home one day with this pet gerbil. I'm like, man, what's that rat doing here? But he came home, it's like a gerbil, you know. He came home with this gerbil and he named him Fuggles. Don't know where he got that from, but he would like to put Fuggles the gerbil in one of those little balls thingies that they could roam freely around the house. You know what I'm talking about? Those balls where they can just do their own thing, get poop everywhere, like that's just what they do. Um, Well, one day, my brother decided that he would want, he wanted to test the IQ of Fuggles. He wanted to see how smart this little guy was. In doing so, (laughs) this is kind of cruel, and I say he, and it wasn't we by any means, but he... (laughs) would place Fuggles in his ball, and we put him on the top floor of our apartment. And really, in that, in that apartment, there was only two options, you know, down the stairs or to the bedrooms. And he wanted to see if Fuggles was smart enough to go the other way. And um, unfortunately, Fuggles is no longer here today, and today we honor him with a moment of silence. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, if you're wondering which option he took, he went tumbling down the stairs. Yeah, this only happened like four times. But anyways, um, (laughs) side note, out of all the pets I've had growing up, um, I'd say by far the most frustrating one of them has been the dog, has been the dog. Many people know this about me, but I am a cat lover. I prefer cats over dogs. I am not that stereotype preacher that will say, 
cats are the spawn of Satan, you know, that your cat's the devil, you will never hear me say that because I prefer cats over dogs. And here's my story. So dramatic. I just don't have the patience anymore for dogs. You know, when I think of dogs, I think of your, your his dog's clingy, you know? He's just so clingy and he's whiny and he's smelly and you gotta walk him and you gotta feed him. And most of all, you gotta train him. And I don't know about you guys, but training a dog is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I keep looking at Judah and Becca because they're in that process right now. Um, I think the most frustrating thing when it comes to training a dog is that the majority of dogs that you're training are puppies. And the majority of puppies that you're training are balls of energy. You know what I mean? Like they're just a bunch of spazzes, you know? Like have you ever in your life seen a calm puppy? That was the case for me when it came time to train my dog, Lexi. I'll never forget when I was training my dog, Lexi, she was a cute little miniature schnauzer puppy, but man, she was crazy. And you know how puppies get. Like, you know how puppies get when they just get so excited, like they can't contain themselves. Like, you just see it in their eyes. Like, they just get so excited to where they're just like, they're shaking, you know, and they're, they're, their tail's just going, like going 100 miles an hour, and they're foaming at the mouth, and they're so excited, they pee everywhere, you know, like, that's my dog at this point when we go to train them. They're crazy. And man, I'll never forget the day when we were trying to train Lexi, I mean, at this point, we were, past, we were past the job of trying to get her to sit. We were past the time of like trying to get her to do all these fancy things like bark and roll over. So we were just like, man, I just need a win for the day. So we went to train my dog Lexi to stay, to stay. You would think that would be a simple process. Well, hours of training my dog Lexi to stay by just saying, hey, Lexi, stay, you know, and every single time I'd take a step back, you'd see my dog Lexi just like, you know, she, she'd lose it. She's just like, she can't contain herself. And the further away I got from my dog Lexi, only the more anticipation you would find Lexi being, right? Like she just, she's like, oh, come on, I just want to play, I just want to go. Like, where's, where's the ball at, you know? She's just like ready to go. And then the moment, as I'm trying to train my dog, Lexi, the moment I turned my back was the same moment she come racing at my face, you know, coming to attack me. And that, my friends, is why cats are better than dogs. <clears throat> I prefer cats. They're, they're, they're always on their terms, and I appreciate that. Dogs are clingy. Now, the reason I tell you that story today is because I actually think my crazy, excited dog, Lexi, gives us a pretty good picture in how us as Jesus followers can approach life at times. And let me explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> I think especially when it comes to the armor of God, I think you have to be careful when you read it because at times it could lead you to do this. At times, if you read the armor of God a little wrong, it could lead you to go out, turn on some pump-up music, and wage war, and try and be a hero for Jesus. But I think Paul in this conclusion, if you read it, in this conclusion to these Ephesians, I think he's really emphasizing stay, stand. I think he's emphasizing stability. I think Paul's emphasizing faithfulness. He's emphasizing standing. Well, why? Well, I think it's because he knows the battle's already been won. 
And I think a lot of us at times, we can find ourselves being like my puppy dog Lexi saying, come on, I just want to go, I just want to do, you know, I just want to be out there, I just want to be advancing, I just want to be out in the sweat, while Jesus is saying, stay, stand, just stay there, just live there, just trust there. And when I feel like Jesus turns away for a moment, that's when we come running and we're just like, come on, Jesus, here I come. I just want to do, I just want to see, I just want to go. And for us as humans, our lifestyles can easily start to become defined by our doings and our deeds. But Jesus has introduced to us a whole new definition in how he wants our lives to now be defined. He now wants our lives to be defined by what he has done, by his deeds, by his doings, what Jesus has accomplished and completed on our behalf. Jesus said one of his last words as he cried out on the cross, he said, it is finished. Well, what's finished? Your sin, your error, your wrong. It's been covered. It's been forgiven. Past, present, future sins. Your relationship with God isn't based on your performance. It isn't based on what you have done. It isn't based on what you can do because it's been finished by Jesus. And the sooner we can receive that news and and rest in that reality, the easier it will be to put on the armor of God. Now, when it comes to the armor of God, it's so easy for me It's so easy for me to think about war, to think about battles and fighting. But in my opinion, Paul's concluding this letter with the key to victory. And that key is being able to receive and stand and stand firm in the reality of what Jesus Christ has already completed and accomplished on our behalf. And if you're wondering where I get this from, look at verse 10. Look how he starts this this, uh, climactic conclusion. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Thank you. What a guy. Once again, if you're somebody that's grown up, look at this service. Dang. Give it up for pastors in this church. If I was cool, I'd try, like, do the whole thing, you know, youth pastor, see how quick I can do it. But anyways, I'm going to start this over. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That feels better. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So once again, if you're somebody that's grown up in church and you've been led to believe that Christianity is based on your doings and your works and your strengths, please hear me. I say this with all the humility in the world. We are to be strong, not based on what we can do, not based on our battles, not based on what we will complete, not based on our power, but only on Jesus and in his strength and in his might. And when you believe that, when you believe that, I'm telling you, it will set you free because now there's no pressure on you. Now there's no pressure in you needing to feel like you have to perform at a certain standard or now there's no pressure because you don't need to feel like you're accomplishing certain goals because now we can rely on a savior, Jesus. 
Now, as Paul goes on in verse 13, Paul begins to unpack some soldier war metaphors. He says, take up the whole armor of God. Paul's insinuating that life at times could be very similar to war. And I think a common misconception people might have when they believe in Jesus and turn to Jesus is that life after turning to Jesus will be safe. Life will be easy. Life will be peaches and cream. But how many of you know when you follow Jesus, don't get me wrong, there are amazing times. There are amazing moments. But don't get me wrong, at least in my experience, life after following Jesus at times can be a little bit more difficult and a little bit more challenging. But in the midst of it all, I have something that's keeping me stable. I have something that has saved me. I have something that's continually transforming me, and that something is Jesus. So Paul says, because life is tough, we need to put on this armor. Well, why? Why do we need to put on the whole armor of God? Well, most of us would think that we would put on the armor to advance or to battle or wage war or fight back. But Paul here, man, he's making it so clear that we are to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand. Sorry if I'm being repetitive. It's only because Paul was first. How many of you know when we read the scriptures, sometimes we could be a little desensitized by them whenever we read them over and over again? Like for me, most of the times when I've read this, I've missed all the times Paul says, stand, 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 stand. But don't you guys find it a little bit odd that God would ask us, would ask us to get all dressed up with these war pieces and armory only so that we could stand? I mean, when I read that, I'm like, scratch my head a little bit. What? You know, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand. Now, if I would have wrote this verse, it's probably a good reason why I didn't, but if I would have wrote this verse, I would have wrote it this way. I would have said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to punch the devil square in his face, you know? That, that's how, how I would have wrote it. But Paul here says, we're going to put on this armor so that we can stand, we're going to get all dressed up for what? To stand. We're going to put on these war pieces designed and engineered for battle, for advancement. But Paul, better yet, Jesus says, after we're suited up, after we're ready to go, now your job is to stand. And not just stand, but stand firm and rest in the reality of what Jesus has done because Jesus has already won this battle. Moving on, verse 12 talks about the true enemy. And I love that Paul spends a moment to talk about who the real enemy is because this is a reminder we need to remind ourselves. And I love reading scripture at times in larger portions. When you read the verses in chapter five and then the beginning of chapter six, Paul's talking about different kinds of relationships. For example, Paul's talking about marriages at the end of chapter five. And then in the beginning of chapter six, he's talking about children and parents. And then he goes on and talks about employees and employers. And I think what Paul's really doing here by talking about these different kinds of relationships is he's leading up to Ephesians 6, verse 12, and I believe he's gonna show us that your real enemy is not your boss. Your real enemy is not your spouse. It's not your kids, it's not your employers. The real enemy is Satan and his followers. 
And we have to be careful here because our natural tendency, our natural way of thinking is for us to think that our enemy is our spouse. Our enemy is our children or our bosses. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think that each other is the enemy. When in reality, Paul wants to make it clear that the enemy is the devil. But we have nothing to fear because God is greater than he who is in the world. And God has already defeated Satan. And Satan is operating on borrowed time. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, that's so helpful as I live out my Mondays. That's so helpful as I live out my Thursdays. That's helpful as I take Kellogg every single day. And, and as these people are trying to turn left, when it says don't turn left, I can say, hey, that's the devil. <laughs> Who's inspired that person? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. Now let's get to the armor. Let's get to the armor. Ephesians 6, 13 through 14, it says this. And notice the repetition. Notice the repetition. It's so, so amazing. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, real quick, in the original language, the word take up the whole armor of God, this is one of my, my favorite findings in this study. Um, this word take up literally translates into sink into. And it's actually the same words found in Luke 24, verse 49, where Jesus is telling his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power from on high. Now this verbiage, take up or put on, literally is a picture of sinking into a garment. It's this effortless moment where God himself clothes you with a gift. So don't be confused today when you read the words take up, because we don't need to run to Walmart, we don't need to fly to the ancient Middle East to find this war armory, because God has a gift, and all you have to do is receive it. So this picture of just letting God clothe you with a gift, how amazing is that? Now, Paul is going to tell us about these gifts. Ladies and gentlemen, the armor of God are nothing more than free gifts that God wants to clothe you with, for you to receive, to help you to stand, to help you to stand firm. So how do we stand? How do we stay and hold on to the solid ground and live in the reality of victory in Jesus? That's where these gifts come in. Last week, we talked about the gift of truth. Today, for the rest of our time, we're going to look at the gift of righteousness. Now, what Paul's doing with these gifts is he's going to try and explain to these Ephesians in metaphor what these gifts are like. And Paul decides to use this metaphor of the Roman soldier's armory. And most scholars believe, like Pastor Steve said last week, most scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter as he was in prison. And most scholars believe that he was actually staring at a Roman soldier. And this wasn't a foreign concept to these Ephesians either because the city of Ephesus at the time, they were still governed and under the authority of Rome. So they had uh, Roman soldiers posted up on different blocks of, of the city. And people in the day, they feared the Roman soldier because they were the elite. They were the biggest and baddest up until this point. So Paul's using the Roman soldier's armory as metaphor. So the point here, just to clarify, the point here is the gift. 
not so much the armory. It's the gift. Paul says righteousness is a gift. And righteousness helps you to stand. Righteousness is like a Roman soldier's breastplate. It's like a breastplate. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is a gift given to you by God. The term in scripture use is used imputed. It's been imputed. It's been gifted freely, not based on your deeds, not based on your doings, but based only on your decision to accept the gift and believe in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, one of my favorite verses, for our sake he, who's the he? Father God made him, who's the him? Jesus. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Which simply means this. Here's the Kenny translation. Look for it one day. The Kenny translation. Father God sent his son Jesus Christ to come into the world to live a perfect sinless life so that he could take it upon himself to be the ultimate sacrifice and take care of the past, present, and future sins and defeat this sin problem so that we could receive righteousness. Now, when you receive righteousness, you are now in right relation between you and God. You are now in right standing between you and God. And the only way that is possible is if your sin, your error, your wrong is dealt with so that you can come and connect and relate to a perfect God. So in other words, if you're not following me, it took a perfect sacrifice for us to relate to a perfect God. And that is good news. The Bible says Jesus has made that relationship possible. He's made that rightness possible when we believe in what Jesus has done, aka the moment you believe that you've sinned and that you can't handle your sin, the moment when you believe in the cross, when you believe in the victory in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him, You've been gifted salvation, and with that salvation comes righteousness, meaning you now stand in right relation with God. And when God looks at you, when you have righteousness, when God looks at you, he no longer sees sin. He sees the precious blood of his son Jesus that covers you, now making you right with God. That's all righteousness is. It's a big fancy church word that means that you are now in right standing. You are now in right relation to God. And when you receive righteousness, the Bible says it's finished. You have an eternal future. It's fixed. It's established. For as long as you follow Jesus and turn away from your sin and choose Jesus, your eternity is set. Which brings me to my first point today, and that is this. Righteousness guards our heart. Righteousness guards our heart. Here's how this works. No matter what your heart may tell you, no matter what your feelings may tell you, no matter what your emotions may tell you, you could still stand knowing you're right with God. It's a beautiful thing. Meaning, on my bad days, when my heart and my emotions and my feelings are telling me that I'm bad because I did bad. And if I'm bad, a good God can't love me because I'm bad. That will lead me to be discouraged. That will lead me to be depressed. That will lead me to be anxious and feeling distant from God. The Bible says that in those kind of moments, you won't be able to stand. You'll lay down to die. But Paul says, 
God has a gift for you. And it's called righteousness. Righteousness is like a breastplate. It will guard and it will protect your heart. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Well, what brings on this feeling of condemnation? What brings on this feeling of, I'm an idiot, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, oops, I did it again, Brittany. Where does that come from? It comes from your emotions. It comes from your heart. And Paul says, God's given you righteousness. God's given you this gift. And righteousness will guard and protect your heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, the very next verse, it said, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we'll have confidence before God. Which my second point is, righteousness leads to confidence. Righteousness leads to confidence. So if we let righteousness cover our heart, cover our heart like a breastplate, then we'll have confidence before God. Righteousness leads to confidence. So what Paul's saying is that you've been given this gift. You've been given this gift of righteousness. And regardless of your sin, regardless of your error, regardless of your bad Friday, you can still have confidence before God that he loves you before you messed up, that you can have confidence before God that he loves you even during your little slip up, that you can have confidence before God that he loves you even after your slip up. And you know what this gift is called? It's called righteousness. And righteousness doesn't give us excuse to sin, but it guards our heart from sin. Righteousness is like a breastplate. And it will lead us to have confidence. Why? So we could stand. So we could stand. If the band wants to come up. So that we can stand firm and not be tossed around or blown about by every wind or negative emotion or, or terrible day. When we receive righteousness, we can let our hair down because now we're in right standing with God. We are now in right relation with God. Not on our deeds, not on our doings, but because of Jesus and what he has done. Righteousness is like a breastplate. It will guard and protect our heart. So when our heart and emotions tell us not to go to church this week because we had a bad week and we didn't read our Bible at all, we didn't pray at all, when our heart and emotions are saying, no, you know what, you should probably just sleep in, you shouldn't go to church, righteousness will be there to give you confidence and guard your heart. When our heart and emotions tell us that, hey, we shouldn't give that coworker advice because you just had an argument with your spouse, and who are you to give marital advice to somebody? Righteousness will be there to guard your heart. When, when our heart and emotions say, hey, do you remember that, that, that thing you used to do? You know, it'll be okay if you do it again. Righteousness will be there to guard your heart and remind you, hey, that's not you anymore. That's not, that's not you. God's make it, made you new. He, you are a new creation. When our heart and emotions say, hey, you know, you, you'll just never be good enough. You might as well just toss in the towel. Call it quits. Go back to your old ways. Righteousness will be there to guard your heart. Righteousness leads to confidence, and confidence leads us to being able to stand against the evil schemes and plans of the enemy. 
Now I conclude with this. Let's look at how the author of Hebrews puts it. He puts it so beautifully. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, a.k.a. let us stand firm in our faith. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us stand firm in our faith. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us stand firm in our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with what? What's the next word? Let us then with confidence. Let us then with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God has a gift for all of us today. And that gift is righteousness. That gift is confidence for you to approach this holy God that loves you despite your error, despite your wrong. Righteousness will guard our heart. And all we need to do today is believe it and receive it. Would you bow your heads today? Today, there are some people here who are in desperate need of a new sense of confidence. I'm believing in faith that God is going to impute this gift of righteousness all across this auditorium today. Maybe you're somebody here today who's thought, man, I'll just never be good enough. I'll never be righteous enough. I'll never have confidence again. I'll never have confidence in myself. I'll never have confidence in my family. I'll never have confidence in my relationship with God. Well, today I'm believing in faith that God is about to birth a new sense of confidence in you and through you, one like you've never had before, a sense of confidence that isn't reliant on yourself. It isn't reliant on your deeds. It isn't reliant on your doings, but it's reliant solely on what Jesus Christ has done for you for you, not just the world, for when God said he sent his son to come into the world to take upon the sin of the world, but for you. Jesus took the cross for you. If you're somebody today that would like to respond and receive this new sense of confidence, then man, with heads bowed just for a moment of privacy, would you just slip up your hand real quick? And we ask you to throw up your hand, not so that we could take a poll or take a head count in the back, but we believe that when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, we believe it just becomes all the more real to you. So real quick, if you would like to receive this gift of confidence, this, receive this gift of righteousness, man, I'm believing God is about to flow it freely all across this place, all across this place. It's amazing. Hey, would you, would you guys all pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you first loved us and that you took it upon yourself to take care of sin, that you came to live a perfect life because you know that we couldn't. And God, you still accepted us for that in spite of that. God, today I pray that you'll 
you will lavish your, your, your gift of righteousness all across this place. God, may we accept it with open arms. May we accept this gift that you have for us, Jesus. We are in desperate need of new confidence. We are in desperate need of this gift so that we could stand and not be tossed around or blown about by, by our, our negative emotions, by, by the, the negativity all across our, our lives. God, I pray that you will give freely this gift that you have promised. God, I thank you that you are the good father that loves every single one of us. God, today we choose to trust in you. We choose to believe in you. God, we, we turn from our sin. And God, we look forward to all that you have for us. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray and ask these things. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, real quick, we're not done. We're not done. I would like to respond one more way here today. And man, throughout this series, we've been learning that we need to put on this whole armor of God so that we could, so that we could do what? So that we could stand, so that we could stand, so that we could stand firm. And we're here to, to receive these gifts so that we can stand. So today, could we do something symbolic? Could we, could we stand all across this place just as a sign of surrender, as a sign of saying, God, I'm choosing to stand. I'm choosing not to fall over. I'm choosing, I'm choosing you. And today, would you stand with me? And today we're gonna declare and we're gonna sing out that we trust God, that even in these moments that don't make sense and are confusing and, and seem like it's just never gonna end, we, we, we choose to stand and believe in faith that God, you are here with me, you're beside me, and you are giving me these gifts to help me to stand. So man, can we sing this out in faith? Can we sing this out in confidence to, to praise the name of Jesus? Would you guys sing this out today?